Hello, I am Jamie with Stonemeyer Games, and today I'm here with two special guests and a third special guest who won't appear on camera, but I have his list on my other screen here. And we are here to talk about games that go out of their way to make them easy to teach, learn, and retain. Um, Andrea and Scott, do you want to introduce yourselves, starting with Andrea, and let us know uh, what your connection is to Stonemeyer Games and uh, why you wanted to be a part of this video? Yeah, thanks, Jamie. Um, so I've been a, a Stonemaier ambassador for about a year now, um, but my journey started probably, gosh, it's probably been seven or eight years ago, um, playing Viticulture and then really taking a deep dive with Scythe. So Scythe's really become one of my favorite games and also my family's one of their favorite games as well. So we've played that a lot. Uh, but from there, just kind of exploring more of Stonemeyer's games and um, just finding a lot of joy and, and alignment with the types of games that you all produce. And you, Scott? Yep, uh, I'm Scott. Yep, I, I actually it kind of mirror that. It started with uh, uh, a friend of mine who was like, oh, you got to try this game. After we had played Catan a million times, he's like, Viticulture. He's like, you got to try this game. And... Uh, from Viticulture, went into Scythe, and then the deep dive inside of having every bit of it. And, and I soloed through most of it. I soloed through Rise of Fenris. I, I, I love it. I love uh, the solo aspects of that game. Uh, and I've been, a, I've been a champion for a few years, and uh, just I've always did the same thing, fun alignment with Stonemaier games. Generally, when your games come out, it's almost an auto-purchase because I know I'm going to like it. And I know... Almost 100%, I can solo it. I'm a primarily a solo gamer. It's getting better. I'm getting more people sort of interested, but it's I'm primarily a solo gamer. So that's great. And you'll add an interesting facet to this video because most of our solo our, our games have a separate solo rulebook than the core rulebook. So it's a whole nother uh, batch of information to learn and retain as you're playing our games. Um, yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about some honorable mentions briefly, uh, and then we'll go into not necessarily a top three list for all of us. I ranked mine, but they're not necessarily truly ranked. We're just gonna go into some things that make games easier to teach, learn, and retain today. Um, Andrea, why don't we start out with your honorable mentions? Just quick mentions of a few games that came to mind that didn't quite make your list, if any. Yeah, I'll just say making this list was really hard. I uh, really enjoyed teaching games. Um, and a lot of times I'm the person in my family who has to, not has to, but wants to learn the game to teach other people. So, uh, and I find a lot of joy in that, um, sharing games with other people. So um, on my honorable mentions list, um, I think I think the game my family would have picked as number one is Wingspan. Uh, we've just taught that game so many times. Um, and so, that one is up high for sure. Um, I also have Cascadia, Clank, uh, Mansions of Madness, second edition, which is uh, kind of an app-assisted game, but very immersive, uh, Apiary. Um, and then I wanted to just share a, a few maybe lesser known games. Um, so Bonanza, this one's a classic in my family. It's a kind of a lesser known Uwe Rosenberg game, and and this one's just so much fun, um, and the artwork's just very charming. Um, and then a newer one we've picked up that has just really amazing components and um, very intuitive is Llama Land, uh, polyomino game, uh, really cute little llama meeples. Um, 
And then another one I wanted to highlight that I haven't hadn't heard a whole lot about in mainstream is Grim Forest. And this is another one that just has a great rule book and a lot of really amazing components, really chunky um, uh, miniatures and, and chunky components. And you're essentially building a uh, little houses for uh, the three little pigs in this uh, fantasy world. So it's it's a lot of fun to teach and really engaging. Um, couple of others on my honorable mentions list are Creature Comforts and Flamecraft for a lot of the same reasons. Sorry, I'm taking notes here as we talk Creature Comforts and uh, Flamecraft. Flamecraft was the other one. Awesome. Awesome. Great list of honorable mentions there. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Scott, do you have any quick honorable mentions to mention? I do. I do. Uh, I'm also the one that teaches the games because if I don't, if someone doesn't learn them and present them, my family's like, I don't want to play. <laughs> so they won't take any of the initiative with it. And it's almost <laughs> me saying, all right, no, no, no. So like with my daughter, who's nine, we just discovered, which it's new to me, but it's not a new game was Lost Cities, the mm -hmm. Reiner Kinesia game. I, mm -hmm. I'm, I, it was when I first opened it, I thought, oh, this is going to be way too simple. And it is absolutely not way too simple. It's a very good and a very, but it is very simple to teach. It's very simple, to, you know, but it's deep. Um, the other one or another honorable mention I had was uh, Tales from the Dragon Inn, which is relatively new, but they have a nice uh, tutorial at the beginning. So you kind of can get brought up to speed without having everything going on. And the other one with that is, I would say, is the prologue for Earthbound Rangers, which is absolutely brand new. I just got it, and I've just been sort of muddling my way through it the last two days. But uh, that one, and that one too, for the artwork and the mechanics and the everything, and but then to bring you on slowly through a tutorial, I really appreciate that. And to teach somebody where I can bring them on and say, okay, well, you only have to pick two cards from each stack. Okay, now we just need to pick, you know, so it makes it... Uh, nice and easy and then my other one was uh arkham horror the card game i feel like that one when i first opened it and started looking through it i was a little bit intimidated of like wow there's a lot going on but the way they present it in the rule book uh in having uh cards with the phase order and the actions and all that it just made it i don't know sort of come to life for me where i was like oh i can picture this i can see where this is going i can see what i'm supposed to do those those were the ones that really for me were the honorable mentions and that that, that helped me to start playing. Nice, thank you. Um, for the person who's not here, Dave, I'll be reading his picks today. He selected John Company Second Edition Tapestry yeah. and Age of Innovation, the new Terra Mystica game, as his honorable mentions. And for me, uh, most of the games that I picked today, but all of them are fairly recent games because there are really there are a lot of games that I think are pretty good at helping me uh, learn them or, or teach them or retain them. Um, my, I have uh, one honorable mention, and that is the one that's on the table right now, and that is the Role Player Adventures expansion. I love how Role Player Adventures doesn't require you to really remember anything. When it's a storybook-driven game, and in the storybook, it tells you when you are allowed to rest or when you're allowed to use an item or when you can go to a new location. It, it just says that right in text in the rulebook. Whereas a lot of games, I think, would require you to remember those types of things. And you have to go back to the rulebook and remember and, and reference, oh, is it okay right now if I rest? Is it okay if I use an item? Role Player Adventures just spells it out. Um, so I really appreciate that about the game. Also, I wanted to mention, just piggybacks off what Scott said a little bit, I have a separate video about my favorite tutorials in games. 
I didn't include that today in learning games, but I do love when a game makes an over-the-top effort to help onboard you into the experience, especially probably campaign games where I just want to jump in and start playing and tutorials make that really easy. So I have a separate video about that. I'll link to it in the description. And then I have, I realized, I remembered I had a much older video about teaching, learning, and remembering rules. I didn't go back and watch the video because I don't like to watch myself on video, but I do have a much older video about that if anyone wants to go back and see Jamie from six years ago talking about the topic. But today will be much more relevant, I think. So let's jump in and talk about, I'll call it your number three pick. It can be a ranked pick. It can be whatever you want it to be. Andrea, what is your number three game that you'd like to mention today? So my number three um, is Star Wars, the deck building game. And I'll say my my top three are kind of more, more recent, I guess, my current top three. Um, mm -hmm. But this one is just, it's it's so easy to teach, has an excellent player aid. And yeah, I'm showing the cards there. Um, they're just amazing. Uh, I mean, every time we flip over new cards, we get so excited. You see Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker, Jabba's barge out there. Um, any Star Wars fan is gonna jump right into this and um, just have a lot of joy. Um, so I guess when I think about you know games on this list, I, I cho chose them because they're they're intuitive in terms of the gameplay. They have really great symbology, and then thematically they just draw you in, right? So. This is definitely one of those top games for that reason for me. Um, taught this game to my sister recently. She just absolutely loved it. So um, this one's definitely like, I think tops in terms of just thematic gameplay and just really immersive from that standpoint. One little UI thing I think the game does really well. I'll, I'll leave this image actually up on screen is that it's uh, one of my favorite mechanisms in the game is that it has this thing where you can interact with the cards in the card row. So if you are, we're looking at Luke Skywalker here, if you are playing as the Rebels, Luke will be facing you in the card row with this number eight directed towards you, saying that you can spend eight resources to gain Luke. But, and this is the clever UI thing, the other player, the the uh, the Empire, this part of the card is facing them at the bottom of the card. It's upside down for the Rebel player. I think that's just a nice little UI touch that shows which part of that card that you can interact with and how you interact with it. Are you interacting with it? With a resource, or are you spending the military power uh, damage to uh, to destroy Luke and remove him from the card rail? I, I think that's one of those things that uh, is, is not one of those easy to retain elements of the game as you're playing. Yes, I, I totally agree. It's really clever. I've never seen anything like that on a player v player, you know, type of game before. So um, that's another one of those things where you're like, wow, that's that's pretty neat, and it it it's another, I guess, draw in terms of just. Uh, giving you another option for ways to use your resources in the game. Scott, have you played this one? I have, um, not a lot. I have it. I'm, that's one that I'm having, uh, trying to get my kids to play. Uh, I'm like, you're going to love it. You're going to love it if you try it. But no, I haven't had, I've, I've had it on the table and we've said messed around with it a little bit, but not, not enough. I, I really like that. I like how, you're seeing and then being able to interact, you know, we know you need Darth Vader, but maybe mm -hmm. I can do something, you know, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. My 13 year old son and I play all the time and he loves uh, it. It's great. A lot of fun. It also does just to add one other thing it, that I was thinking about it. Um, if you don't know how to play a deck building game, I think it does a pretty good job of onboarding you into that experience. Yeah. But if you do know how to play a deck building game, 
it doesn't try to change all that much about the this kind of the standard formula of drawing five cards, playing them all, and then discarding them. And I think sometimes as a designer, I, I try to go out of my way to innovate and do something different. But I think sometimes it's nice to do something familiar so that you can innovate in other ways within the game, like we mentioned this card row thing. But you don't have to like relearn that five card draw and discard element. It's just it's almost ingrained in you if you've played games like Dominion and Ascension and things like that. So it is a good reminder to me as a designer that sometimes doing something familiar and intuitive is better than going out of my way to do something different. Yeah, I totally agree. It was really easy for me to learn that game because mm -hmm. of that. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. So that is Star Wars, the deck building game. One of my favorite games from this year. I love this pick as Andrea's number three. Scott, what is your number three pick? My number three is Cthulhu Death May Die. Mm. I really like the way they, first of all, the rule book is very accessible. It's easy to find stuff. It's a big format rule book with uh nice like nice big headings and then the index which is you know you gotta have an i in my opinion you gotta have an index <laughs> it's uh -huh. nice to be able to find something quickly when you're sitting there and you go wait a minute what do we do uh but also the fact that they put the whole play order right mm -hmm. on the mat like right on mm -hmm. the side of the play mat. So as you're playing and you're looking at your character, you can see it there in the bottom left where it says your yeah. turn, take three actions. And you can go, oh, there's my, and there's the three actions I can take. Uh, I think that it's great. And we, I've been playing this one basically every Monday with a friend of mine for, I don't even know how many weeks now. We're into the second season. We have one left in the second season. And then having a game like that where every single scenario is different. It changes. So you're playing, you you have a familiarity with actions and all of that, but then, oh, this time we have to, I don't know, gamble at a casino to try and bring, or this time we have to uh, find who, like a murder mystery, find out who who murdered this person or whatever. I, I really like, we, we've really, that's game that's just enamored us for <laughs> the last few months. Scott, I'm curious with, uh, so I've played this game only once. I only have one frame of reference for it. Um, and I remember the core rules of the game being fairly streamlined, which mm -hmm. was helpful given that it had these other scenarios that you're pulling in. Yep. What does the game do uh, with the scenario? Do, is, do the scenario, the, the, the design of the scenarios, what did they do to prevent you from being overwhelmed with new rules? They're really usually only adding two new actions each time. And it's not adding, it's not like scenario one adds two, scenario two adds two, that's four. No, they're only adding two per scenario. Okay. So that, that so it keeps it manageable. And then as far as uh, the rules for when you move like Cthulhu to move him down the track, that's the timer of the game is moving him down the track. Uh, and those are different for each one, but that's like one sentence. It's, it's a very, it, we've never, you know, we've never looked at it and been like, whoa, what do we do? You know, it's been it's pretty straightforward in the in the so they they don't keep building and making it more difficult. Andrew, have you played this one? I haven't. It's on my want to playlist, actually. Um, I'm in, I'm very intrigued. Yeah, nice. I wasn't sure how much I'd love it, and I absolutely we ended up loving it. <laughs> That's great. Let's Cthulhu Death May Die as Scott. I need to be writing these down. I'm definitely going to forget. Okay, so Cthulhu, sorry. Um, Cthulhu Death May Die. And then Star Wars. All right. Um, Dave, Dave, who's not with us. Dave, 
mentioned Catan. And here's what he says about Catan and why he selected this game. Um, so the mechanism, he says, discarding half of your resources if you have seven or more cards when a seven is rolled. He says, uh, while I wouldn't necessarily call this mechanism fun, especially when it happens to a player, it's important because it helps teach two of the fundamental strategies about Catan. Hoarding resources won't trade, won't score you any points, and you need to trade to win. This is interesting. So he's going into the heuristics of the game. The game is subtly teaching you something important about the game. He says, rolling a seven works as a teaching mechanism precisely because it can be it can feel so punishing. Uh, so it makes players avoid it. And because it happens relatively often, it wouldn't be nearly as effective at teaching people to make trades or to spend resources if it was consistent. Like if it uh, happened when a 12 was rolled um, or if the consequence was trivial, if you only lost two cards. He says, it's a strong example of behavioral learning, taking away something the learner wants so they will engage in the desired behavior. Hmm. That's really interesting. I assume both of you have played Catan. Do you have any, any other thoughts about, about that example? No, but yeah, that's a great observation. <laughs> like, I didn't. I never put that together, but now I'm like, oh yeah, that's exactly what they were doing. That's great. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of things about Catan that's very intuitive, and it just <laughs> makes it easy an easy, you know, entryway gate gateway type game. I mean, that's a game that you know I think we started playing like twenty plus years ago. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And it's it's still one that, you know, when we get to the table or somebody brings it out at a game night, I still enjoy it. It's mm -hmm. just got so much, yeah. you know, it's like warm fuzzies. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, that is Catan uh, as Dave's, Dave's pick, old school pick. So I, I picked relatively new games because I, I think I would say in general, I think rule books have the layout for rule books has gotten better and better over the years. And so I have a few examples to share today of that. And one of them is a very new game that I just played recently called Bark Avenue. It's a game about walking dogs. And the rule book was just, or is just brilliantly and beautifully laid out. It uses kind of this format where it teaches you a concept um, and then there's a big box showing you an example of that concept in action. I, I love when games do this. It's really helpful for me to read how the concept works. In fact, I might bump back and forth between the two, but oftentimes I read the concept and then I if I need to better understand it or to see how it works in, in gameplay, I'll, I'll read the example. Um, the rule book is full of that. Also, the back page of the rule book contains like basically everything in the rule book, but in, in truncated form. I really appreciate this as well. So that when I'm playing generally, I, you know, I'll read the rule book. And then when I'm actually playing, I will just look at the back page from then on, especially if the rules are fairly intuitive and have few exceptions. So I really appreciate that. And the last element about the game that I thought was nice was more about the user interface. And it's these really nice player maps. They're dual layered. I don't know if they needed to be, but it's a nice touch that they're dual layered. But they, it, the, the mats clearly communicate, for example, how many things you can fit in these slots. Uh, so like the, while you go on walks, the, the dogs can go to the bathroom and you can pick up little, these, actually they're pretty cute little poop tokens. But there's only <laughs> one slot for the poop token for that dog. And so you know you're not collecting multiple poop tokens from this from this UI. Same for if you want to take a picture of the dog while it's on a walk or gather or, or do their favorite activity. Um, so just a little subtle touch in the UI that says you can do one of these things when you're taking the dog on the walk. You can't do this thing multiple times. I, I like subtle touches in the UI like that. So yeah, the UI, the player mat, uh, the rule book having examples, clear examples right next to the rules and then the back page of the rule book having kind of an icon 
gameplay reference here. Uh, have you have either of you played Bark Avenue, or does that does oh, that yeah. rulebook layout resonate with you in, in the way that you like to learn and retain games? Yeah, I haven't played, but um, you know, games that have that that kind of summary on the back page where you can just lay it on the tabletop and folks can just pick it up and reference it yeah. throughout, really super handy. Yeah, yeah. No, I haven't played it either. I haven't seen it when you showed the artwork. I'm like, wow, that's I love the artwork. Yeah, <laughs> and to see yeah. the 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 rule book, that's kind of my favorite type of. As you'll see, that's sort of my favorite okay. type of rule book. That's that's <laughs> wonderful. Nice. And it's, it's as intuitive as it is now that I look at this. There are many Stillmeyer Games rule books that do not that do not use the back page in that way. We used to use it for kind of helpful links, like like go to like a URL to go to our website mm -hmm. to, to learn more to, or social media links. And I realized that a couple of years ago that it's much more helpful to have have those icons, have that reference on the back page. So I think we've done it for Apiary now and Expeditions. They may have been the first two that we did that. Uh, Libertalia too, we did that. Yeah, so that is Bark Avenue is my number three. Andrea, what is your number two pick? So my number two is Betrayal at Baldur's Gate. Um, so this is the D&D theme skinned version of Betrayal. Uh, very similar mechanically to Betrayal at House on the Hill. Um, really love this one because of the theme. Um, but the game mechanics in general, I think, are just so intuitive and smooth and elegant. Um, and the game components not only draw you into the game, but also um, essentially tell you what to do next. Um, mm -hmm. So the tiles you're showing there, they have the icons on them that tell you what card to draw, um, what to do. Um, there's some you know, thematic card text on these. Essentially in the game, you're moving around the board and you're exploring. You start on kind of a starter tile and then you're flipping new tiles, either building tiles or street tiles or catacomb tiles. And then you're drawing cards that tell you what happened. Um, ultimately it's kind of leading up to the tension of this, like when is the haunt gonna start? Who's the traitor? Um, and then it, it goes from a cooperative game to a one versus many game. Um, I taught it this last weekend to a game group and they just had so much fun with it. And it was just so easy. I mean, you really could just teach the game by playing, which mm -hmm. I really love. I mean, I think that's kind of the sign of, you know, a game being super intuitive mechanically. Um, in addition, there's these little, um, you know, the way you track your stats in the game is on these really neat little cards and um, these clips that are on here have the stats for the different, you know, starting abilities. Mm. Um, you've got, you know, mental damage on one side and physical damage on the other side. And it's just really easy to teach this and just look down and see where you're at. Um, so this is another really nice component to the game. This game, so I played the legacy version of this game and it, by design, it, creates one of the most challenging, I think, rules, uh, situations in any game because you talked about the haunt. When you have the haunt, there are two separate rule books, one for the players who continue to work together, and one you send off the, the, uh, the what, what do you call them? The, uh, the traitor? The traitor, yeah. Yeah, the traitor. You send the traitor mm -hmm. off with a separate rule book, and they have to learn some rules on their own from that rule book. But I, so with that huge challenge, they don't have the help of the group then. They can't learn those rules in advance. But I found, at least in Betrayal Legacy, the rules are so clear in that mm -hmm. rule book and very clear about what you're allowed to share and not share. Right. Um, 
I think that's an incredible feat of design that they're able to pull that off. Would you, would you agree with that for uh, Baldur's Gate, which I haven't played? Yeah, I agree. I mean, we. I think, you know, I was the only experienced player when I taught it this last weekend. And the trader was someone who hadn't played it before, really got into the role, really enjoyed it, uh, didn't have any questions when, you know, he came back to the table, he was ready to go. So I, I agree with that. It's It's great to see new players just kind of jump in and splash around. Yeah. yeah, I have not played that one, but that's that's definitely a testament to the game, though. I mean, if they were able to learn it that quickly, if somebody had never played it, that's great. So the, the rules, you know, it was presented in a way that they grasp it very easily. So, yeah, I would say it's akin to like the scenario rules in Cthulhu Death May Die, but only okay. one player knows those rules. Mm, um, okay. Oh, or that's knows some of them. Yeah, that's yeah, fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Great. So betrayal at Baldur's Gate. As Andrea's second pick. Uh, Scott, what about you? What's your number two? My number two is Obsession. You can see it over my shoulder there. Uh -huh. So if you order it from Payenta Games, I, I don't know, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it, but if you order it from them, they, as it ships, they still, like send an email. And they're like, okay, mm -hmm. start here. Watch mm -hmm. this video first, Watch which video to me is wonderful. Uh, I usually will watch a video, or uh, actually I'll usually read the rule book, watch a video, and then if I don't get it, then go to even like gameplays. But Obsession, he just lays it out for you. Okay, watch this video first, this video next. Start it solo first because, you know, gives you all the instruction. Then inside of it, you have the, the basic rule book. You have the basic rule book. And then depending on how much you want to deep dive into it, there's the glossary that comes with it. And the glossary even goes into like, the different workers and how historically they were used and how it's really interesting. Uh, and then, and this is a positive and a negative in a way, but they have uh, player aids, card size player aids for everything. But it actually mm -hmm. sort of, when you start getting all the expansions and all the stuff, you end up with this stack of cards. And then I feel like sometimes I can find it quicker in the rule book than I can searching through the stack of cards. But I still... In general, I love that he had thought of like, I'm going to present this every single way and I'm going to tell you how to access it every single way. <laughs> so, what you know, however, whatever type of learner you are, you can jump right in and figure out this game. And uh, because it does, it's another one where you, when you open the box, it's like, wow, there's a lot of, of just pieces, but they all go so neatly in their own way and in their own spaces. And it really, it's a very, I don't know, I feel like it's an elegant game uh with but it has a lot of pieces so that's kind of anti-elegant but <laughs> i feel like it plays you know very smoothly yeah andrew played this one i have um yeah i i completely agree with everything scott said i, I this one didn't make my list because uh, i've only taught it once um and i've mostly played it uh solo um but the components are really incredible um for this game. And um, I had a similar experience uh, getting an email directly from Dan Halligan, the designer. Um, and he laid out when I ordered the expansion to the game, uh, how best to, you know, start playing it, some guidelines and some tips and hints. So very, almost like a, it felt like a personalized message mm -hmm. when I, when I ordered it directly uh, from the publisher, um, which was really, really awesome feeling. Yeah, I, I have actually an older blog post about that method. It's a, 
Dan has an interesting advantage as a publisher because Obsession is his only game, mm -hmm. the only game he makes. And so um, that auto we have we kind of revamped our automated message when you buy a game from our website that is along those lines, but it's not as specific because the our our app doesn't know which game that you bought. It just knows how to fill in your name and make it seem a little personal. Uh, but with Obsession, he can go into deep detail and start onboarding you into the game right away. I will say, I tried the first time I played Obsession was at a convention where we learned the game on the fly. We didn't have that helpful email from Dan. We were just kind of opening up the box and playing at Geekway to the West. And it was it was difficult to learn out of the box that way. Uh, we mm -hmm. ended up getting there, but it took us around four hours, I would say, to kind of stumble through it. We were having a good time while we did, but um, I, I, I wish I had that email from Dan to, to help me get there. <laughs> Yeah, so that's Obsession, Scott's number two pick. Great game, very thematic game too. A lot of the theme, it's one of these games where the theme supports the mechanism so well, that helps it make it easier to learn and retain as well. Yeah, I, I definitely, uh, our local game store here had a Obsession play this weekend. And that, so I last night I stopped in, I wasn't able to make it, but I stopped in and I said, well, how did it go? I said, did people play it with the theme or did they just play, <laughs> I'm going to move green to the, and he said, no, no, no. He said, it was really good. People were, yeah. you know, so yeah that's great so dave's number two pick uh following scott's obsession is spirit island another mm -hmm. fairly complex game let's see what dave says about spirit island the cooperative game he says uh, the element he wants to highlight is adversary difficulty the difficulty in spirit island can be customized by playing specific adversaries at six different difficulty levels Having such a granular, uh, granular, granular system of difficulty encourages players to play on the edge of their abilities that they want, so they're learning how to play the game better by constantly ramping up the challenge. And he says, there's a, th a learning theory which basically says, if a thing is so easy you can do it unaided, you won't learn much. If a thing is too hard, or you can't do it without even much help, you won't learn much. But the sweet spot, he calls it the zone of proximal development, where people learn best, are things the learner can do with guidance from others. It's challenging enough that they can't do it by themselves, but with the help of others, it can be learned. Uh, he concludes, by giving the games the flexibility to always play in that sweet spot, each individual player has to regularly seek guidance from outside themselves, in this case, the other players at the table. So the modular difficulty not only helps them learn how to play the game, but also encourages them to play the game the right way by collaborating with their, with their fellow players. Um, that's an interesting, I hadn't thought about that theory. Overall though, I, I do like in Spirit Island and games like this where it has a difficulty rating. So if I'm not in the headspace to really go really heavy for that day, I can choose a, a kind of a basic spirit to play with in Spirit Island. Um, and he's kind of playing, toying with the idea, I guess, of pushing yourself a little bit to maybe not do that one star, but maybe do the, the two star, the two level difficulty. Have you, uh, have either of you played Spirit Island or played games where you can choose that difficulty rating for your whatever is uh, asymmetric to you? Yeah, I've played Spirit Island quite a bit. Uh, my kids enjoy that one. Um, and we don't play a lot of co-op games, but that's definitely mm -hmm. one that's made our shelf and, and made it out quite a bit. Um, I do like the, the uh, ability to adjust the difficulty, um, especially when you're teaching a game like that, um, because you're more likely to at least feel like you're being successful <laughs> when, you're, when you're first learning it. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, Spirit Island is definitely one of my favorites. And I actually had a note sort of written to how they have that horizons of Spirit Island, which is like the, the very small version to sort of get you started. 
but I haven't taught from that, so I can't really say. But I have taught from the similar of the Jaws of Lion with Gloomhaven. And I think it's great having it. Uh, but again, with Spirit Island having the different very uh, difficulty, I think that in itself makes it, you know, what it is. It's a great game. You don't really need the intro, I don't think. But it's it's. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. Um, and I'll, I like the mention of Jaws of the Lion, too. That had a great tutorial. Um, so that is Spirit Island as Dave's number two pick. My number two pick, another new game. It's called First in Flight. This is a game about, so kind of about the Wright Brothers, but uh, there are a few other famous people who are, who are maybe a little less famous than the Wright Brothers for um, their adventures into flight. And again, it is a really well laid out rule book that was very easy to, in fact, this is a game that was taught to me, but then I kind of had to relearn it to teach other people. And I found the rule book very easy to go through. Um, again, it has a quick reference guide on the back. I like all that. But uh, the UI, I thought of the, uh, of the game, I thought really, really helped. Again, it has player mats. We've mentioned player mats several times where player mats kind of direct you towards what you can do, what you're not allowed to do. Uh, there's a capacity restriction here so that you can uh, discover, as you go on flights in the game, you can discover cards that uh, are hurting the flight, that are that are impeding your flight. And this is your garage where you can go to fix those elements. And there are only two slots for cards. So it's the, the player mat itself is uh, showing you that you can all only hold two cards there instead of expecting you to remember that limit or like that. And there's all these little things you can do on your turn. And one last little touch that I thought was really, really great are, and let's see if I can find the example. There are these cards that go, so it's a kind of a deck building game that when you're building a deck and then you go on a flight and that's when you actually uh, shuffle your deck up and and uh, reveal cards from your deck, pushing your luck as you go. Yeah, here it is. Uh, but there are these cards in your deck. At one point, as you go on your flight, you will decide to descend. and there's a card in the deck that shows you that you can descend. So it looks kind of like a card that would go in your deck, um, but it's a little bit different. And notably, it's a little bit different in that it's a different size. You can see it right here. So uh, it's a little bit bigger. And this is a reminder, the descend card doesn't actually get shuffled into your deck. It is just a card that you can play during a flight. I thought that was a really clever thing that at the end of a flight, um, it's it's very easy to see if maybe I accidentally put it into my deck because it, it, it literally stands out from the rest of the cards in the deck. Uh, just a, a little subtle touch that I probably would not have thought of, of as a designer to make this card, which does not go in the deck, a separate a separate uh, size, a different size than the cards in your deck. So that is First in Flight. By chance, have any of you, uh, either of you played this one? I'm super intrigued by it. It's yeah. top of my want to play list for sure. Um, just when I've heard folks talk about it, it's just some really unique game mechanics. Um, and yeah, it, it sounds like one that you would probably want to play over and over again, potentially. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's been my experience so far. Yeah, Scott, have you have you uh, heard of it? I haven't. No, I haven't. That's I'm definitely intrigued. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to my game store today, see what they can <laughs> do about this. That looks wonderful. That looks very cool. It does play. I'm looking at the box. It does play one to four players. It does have a solo mode, right. um, and I. Yeah, I had a good experience teaching it and a good experience learning it. Hmm. Yeah, so that's first in flight is my number two pick. Hmm. We're down to the, our top picks here. I have Dave's queued up, but Andrea, we'll lead off with you. What is your number one pick? So I'll say I, I try not to pick a Stonemeyer game just because we're on your <laughs> channel. <laughs> 
but but I was like, you know, I, I just need to be honest about what my top is right now. So um, so my number one is expeditions. Oh. Um, I've gotten the opportunity to teach this one quite a bit recently. Um, and I think it's it's great for teaching for a number of reasons. Um, one, it's like it feels like a really accessible point into the scythe universe. So scythe is a little bit heavier game. Um, and I feel like expeditions is just right in that medium weight zone. Um, also feel like just in terms of the game mechanics and the flow of the game, um, you can almost teach it by just taking game turns um, in the game. Um, you know, and also just in terms of like the table presence, um, I just found when people are first learning it, they're very drawn in by the artwork, um, the way that you explore the various tiles in the game. People get really excited about flipping the tiles over and seeing what's under them and collecting the cards um, that do various things. And it's it's also kind of one of those games, too, when you play it multiple times, you get different cards, right, that are revealed. And so it can almost have a different feel each time. Mm. Um the, the symbology is very intuitive in this game um, in terms of just, you know, what's on the player mat, how you, um, you know, move the power and guile up the track. Um, so all of the components as well, you know, um, having the workers of various colors that match up with the cards um, makes the game flow pretty smooth um, for, you know, teaching a medium weight Euro type game. Um, just in terms of, you know, teaching a Euro style game that has, you know, a lot of components. I mean, this one's kind of become a go-to that I just, I keep in my game bag on game night. You know, if folks want to want to learn a new game or, you know, play something that might take a little bit more time. Um, I think it's a good one for that. I'm honored to hear that and flattered and maybe a little bit surprised because I've heard from a fair number of people that it's a, it was harder to learn than they expected. Hmm. Um, and I've been trying to figure out what that means. Uh, and I, one of the things I've tried to pinpoint, and Andrew, you might have some feedback too, is that the, it's one of our games where we've started doing these, uh, not shorter rule books, but smaller uh, footprint rule books, because rather than having a giant rule book that you're probably not going to put on the table next to you, especially if there's not room on your table, uh, that we're trying to do these smaller rule books where you can easily keep it there as a reference. And I think I'm still maybe adapting as a rule book writer to that tighter format um that might be one thing there i don't know what, what, did you find it easy yeah. to learn out of the rule book or were there was there were there some stumbling points so my general approach to learning games um is to watch a video first then read the yeah. rule book then maybe watch a video again so mm -hmm. you know rodney's video was super helpful mm -hmm. in terms of learning the game but in terms of teaching the game your how to teach video was super helpful as well so okay. you know I, I taught the game at a con recently um really didn't have any issues with the players picking up on the the approach. And I, I took a very similar approach to what you suggested. Um, I think the rule book is really nicely done. I think after watching the video at least once, um, I was able to find the answers to questions that I had about specific mechanics. And, you know, I think the thing that maybe comes up most for new players of the game is um, the wording on the cards and just some confusion sometimes about like what that means. Um, but the rule book clearly, in my opinion, spells out like the answers to those questions, um, you know, if you're looking for it. So, um, yeah, overall, I, I really didn't have any issues with learning. I'm glad to hear that. And I like that approach to watching the video, reading the rule book. Scott, have you, have you 
yeah, I have. And as you brought it up and as you started talking about it, Andrea, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, she's absolutely right. Like when I when we played that, when my group played that, I they really didn't do any advanced prep. I had done the same, watch a video, read the rule book, you know, did that. And we and, and I had played it a little bit on my own. But then we they jumped right in and really we moved right through. It was really so it, that, that's a testament to the, the the gameplay and the rule book and stuff. So uh uh, and the in the, the, like you, the table presence that you brought up, the that is it w- is absolutely essential to that. I think to that game, like the way that that game looks and the way that that game, everybody wanted to look at everything. Like when when it, when you'd flip one, oh, we all want like they all wanted to see. I feel like that really adds to it. And when I originally setting it up, I was like, oh, it's just, you know a bunch of hacks. It's a big game. It's but. I see now. I'm like, this was absolutely what it needed to be because that's, I can't imagine setting this up how at conventions and how people would come to it or to set this up in a, in a cafe or somewhere you would have people would, you just want to see what is that? Wow. That's so cool. <laughs> so yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with Andrea. That... And as Andrea mentioned, I do, I try to do a how to teach uh, video for all of our games it uses my teaching style, which is maybe different than other teaching styles. It involves, like Andrea said, uh, explaining a few core concepts and then lead guiding players through maybe their first or second turns. Um, I found some people really don't like that, and I try to cater to that when I'm teaching them. But that is my style of play. I'd rather do that. I'd rather learn as we go a little bit or teach as we go rather than making someone sit through. I, I just don't. I, I know there are people who want to sit through a rules explanation that's 30 minutes where they detail every little thing, but. <laughs> I find that I find that's really tough to retain all those little rules uh, unless you're actually using those rules as you go. So that's my style of teaching. Yeah, I agree. I mean, when it works for a game, it's really ideal mm-hmm. for most people. Because most people yeah. don't want to sit through a long teach, is what I yeah. found. Um, you know, not not every game you can do that with. You know, there's some games where you need to take a little bit longer. Um, sure. But but it's nice when it works well. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. I, I'm honored, honored and surprised that you chose expeditions as your your top pick. But I'm glad to hear it. Um, Scott, what, what is your yeah. number one pick? My number one, in you know, not surprising, a solo game, primarily solo game. You can play two players, but it's really primarily it's a solo game. Nemo's War. It goes exactly with what you said earlier, Jamie. Where you learn about combat and you turn the page. There's the combat all laid out step by step. Yeah. So if you have questions on it after you've read it, you can read through and this is what you do here. And then it goes right down, numbered, big numbers. It, it is a big rule book, but it's not a huge game set up on the table. Uh, and then the board itself as well, which uh, it, it, it kind of intuitively shows you how you're going to move things. I feel like it tells you, it just shows you everything you need to do. Everything's there. Uh, in many cases, I feel like you don't even have to look at the rule book after it's set up. Most of the things are there once you know the mechanics like or the mechanisms. I mean, once you know uh, how combat works, you really can work through it. And it tells you the different uh, uh, phases of the of movement or phases of the game. It also... Uh, like for the damage to the hull and all that kind of thing, you kind of can see intuitively 
where how things move where they you know back or back and forth and everything's labeled with plus this or minus that or I don't know. it's i feel like it's it's very well done and it, it's another one where i've heard from uh other players like oh it was so complicated uh and i and i'm like what and then as i talk through it with them they're like oh yeah you know it was it, it, this stuff was here this stuff was there it's like they, they take advantage maybe of the, the the thought that the designer put into having everything laid out for you i don't know that it one is does, yeah looking at the image here you alluded to this but it looks like there are several references built into the the board itself and maybe a reference uh, guide or tile over here where everything you need to know or maybe most everything that you need to know is just right there in the interface of the game is that is that correct yeah that yes yes and and that's how i feel i could also see an argument of that it looks crowded it makes the board crowded mm -hmm. maybe and there's a lot going on and so maybe it's intimidating when you open it and you see wow what's all this stuff but it's really just helping you it's more it's like permanent player aids <laughs> uh -huh. no that's great i i have not played this one i've seen it played andrea have you played nemo's war I have not, but I really do like game boards that have that kind of information on them. Um, just in general, it just kind of made me think of, you know, something I should have mentioned on some of my other picks, but um, it's really nice when there's a lot of information on the game board, on the cards, on the player pieces. Um, so you don't have to look things up. Yeah. I, I think yeah. it's nice too, with the information on the board uh, for the other players in between turns, to then be able to, to look over it and see what, instead of, oh, here, pass me the rule book. Oh, pass me, you know, or whatever. They can, you know, it gives them, and in some cases may give them a new player, especially something in between turns to look at, to like, okay, I'm going to keep doing this and get, you know, figuring out the strategy or whatever. One thing I'll maybe add, tag onto that, because I love that too in games. We did it with uh, Libertalia, where we have the little round reference in the bottom right of the board. But uh, games that use reference cards, I think, there was never a game where I've wished there were fewer reference cards, unless it's, you know, way too much information for some reason. Yeah. But I not only like reference cards in games, but I really, really appreciate when uh, there isn't information on the backside of the reference card, too. We don't even always do this in some of our games. We should do it more often because if the reference card is important, I want it right there on the table next to me. I want to be able to glance over and look at it. I don't want to hunt it, hunt down for that information. And so, uh, I just really appreciate when when reference cards are almost single sided, so that I can have them all face up in front of me if I need that information. Yeah, yeah. The new Castles of Burgundy, that special edition, that has the best reference cards I've ever seen. They're so wonderful because they're they're big. They're not huge to where it takes up too much space, but it has everything, and especially for the monastery cards where there's a or the oh, monastery yeah. tokens that are they're all laid out. So you can just look and boom, you don't have to, which was, that was our always, because I don't know, we haven't played it enough to have all those memorized or figured out. So. Right. right. And it, and every player gets one of those, right? That's the key that you don't just have one that you're passing around the table because Correct. it's something that you each player needs to reference. Yeah. Right. Right. Great. Well, that's Nemo's War as Scott's mm -hmm. number two pick. Let's see what Dave will so eloquently say about his number one, Suburbia. So Dave's number one. The element he wants to highlight are tile colors. He says, Suburbia uses color to distinguish between different categories of city tiles. Yellow for industrial, blue for commercial, green for... Uh, mentions industrial again. I think that might be a, a typo. And gray for civic buildings. Using these specific colors for industrial, commercial, and residential tiles does a lot of heavy lifting when it comes to teaching the game, particularly for anyone who is a 
ever played a simulation in a PC game, giving instant familiar familiarity. It helps me for so I can understand this too. It's one thing I've Number one, because it's a simple graphic design choice that could have been easily done incorrect. Picking any other colors would have probably created confusion for anyone who had played SimCity in the past. It's a good reminder to, wherever you can, ask what knowledge or assumptions about this subject might my player or learner already have and design with that in mind. I love that question. Yeah, what, what knowledge or assumptions about this subject might my player or learner already have? Um, especially in reference to anything, but also in reference to color. What, what do we think about red for attacking? Do we think about uh, a green for growing something? Those, those types of heuristics. Are either of you familiar with suburbia or can you relate to this? Uh, not just color coding, but think of, you know, something that seems intuitive because of some other frame of reference you have for a game. Yeah, I've played suburbia um, mostly via app. Um, mm -hmm. So electronically, but, but yeah, I mean, it is really intuitive in terms of the tile colors. Um, I think I think about, you know, some symbols being used, you know, consistently throughout a game, maybe more so than color. Um, just because of colorblindness and, you know, you know, accessibility type stuff. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think it's really useful to have things kind of aligned throughout the game in terms of, you know, seeing the same symbol over and over again, or seeing repetition, you know, in terms of how a game's designed. Yes. Yeah. That, that element of repetition. I've even seen some publishers, uh, Red Raven games comes to mind where they often uh, Red Raven and uh, Garfield games, uh, mm. they often use the same icons across multiple games and they're consistent. Mm. So if you have learned those icons for one of their games, you can uh, you can understand the icons in, in another one of their games as well. Yeah. Uh, we can go on to my number one pick here if we'd like, and that is another recent game. I picked all 2023 games here, and that is the game Forest Shuffle. Mm. Um, this is an adorable tableau building game. A lot of set collection, some ongoing abilities, end game scoring in a variety of ways. Um, the rulebook is small and concise. I, it, it's very easy to, to learn the rulebook. Again, there's an icon guide on the back of the rulebook, which I appreciate. But the thing that I think really helps this game, uh, it really almost all the things I mentioned today are things that the user interface of the game helps you remember things. Uh, so basically, you don't have to remember them. It's remembering that you have in the middle of the table. That's all the cards that are either revealed or discarded because whenever you, uh, you, you play cards in this game by discarding other cards as the cost, and those cards go into the forest. They go into this long row. Uh, this row is designed, the length of this row is designed to hold 10 cards, which I think is clever because the 10 is the limit. And that is noted on the far right of it, where it says if this uh, forest ever has 10 or more cards, that's when you discard them. So you don't have to remember that number. It's just printed right here on the map. Also, on the other side, there's another element of the game that you would normally need to remember, but this is reminding you of it. And that is whenever you play a tree card, uh, you need to take a card. Not only do the cards that you pay go into the forest, but you have to take a card from the top of the deck and also mm. add it to the forest. So it's taking all these little things that again, a game would normally ask you to remember that some games might ask you to remember and it's putting them right there in the user interface so that you not necessarily can't forget it, you still can, but makes it a lot more difficult to forget. And instead of referencing the rulebook, you can just look at the user interface to remember those types of things. Have either of you played Forest Shuffle or can relate to this idea of uh, reminders in the UI so that you don't have to remember them? 
Yes, I got to play that at uh, BGG Con just recently, and it was taught to me. Oh. Uh, it was so easy to learn and just uh, just really charming. Um, I mean, in terms of a set collection game, you know, and building these little communities around the trees. I mean, I was really excited to like collect all the birds and all the butterflies, you know, and um, it's it's just very engaging in terms of theme. But I also found that the cards were really easy to understand because of the UI and, and the symbology that's there. Um, I really didn't have any questions as I was playing it, you know, as to what the intent was on each of those cards, which is actually pretty amazing for a first play to not have a whole lot of questions. I'll pull up some examples of those cards while you're talking about it. This is the German version, although even with the German, this is actually an interesting challenge to look at a card in another language and see if you can still understand what it's saying. I think you probably could in this game yeah. for some of it, maybe yeah, not down here. Super intuitive, like sets of butterflies having, you know, all the different values yeah. for one, two, three, four, and so on. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, and you said the, the symbols are on the back of the rule book too. So if, right. there's not like an overwhelming number of them, or you can look them up quickly anyway. So that's, yeah, that's really nice. Yeah. One of the big hooks of the game too, also has clever, user interface, which is um, you can see all these cards that are tucked under these trees. And let's see if we can find an example of one of those cards. Yeah, these cards are either vertically divided or horizontally divided, which I think pretty clearly communicates that one side, whatever you play, uh, the other side is getting tucked under the, the tree card. That's one of those things that you can learn like in an instant, but that the user interface of the game helps communicate to you. So you, you never have to remember which part to to tuck it's it's built into the card design itself no oh, that's nice that's really good i have not played that game i, I looked at it because that was another one i looked at when i walked in the store i was like oh look at that artwork that's great and then we looked at it and uh but i have not played it i'm glad andrew you got to play it recently i i have really enjoyed it it's kind of it looks like it doesn't have a, a solo mode out of the box but i bet it's one that has a solo mode yeah I'm well something like that if it's if seeing what you showed and the way you described the rule book and stuff, I think, I think that one I could get to the table with the family. I think they would, because if it's something that you, so when you showed that and you were saying intuitive is without, before we even said it, like, I was like, Oh, that must be sets of butterflies. And then you said it, I'm like, Oh, okay. So that's, yeah, it's very intuitive. So yeah, that's nice. Well, that's great. I hope you get the chance to try it. Um, that is, that is forced shuffle is my number one. I've loved hearing your thoughts today, both of you, uh, about what makes games easier to teach, learn, and retain. Um, before we go, do you have any other final thoughts, things that came to your mind that you didn't get to say as we were talking today? I I did, as far as teach, uh, one thing that I think is so important for teaching is maybe love is too strong a word, but you need to, I feel like, really like the game. If it's a game that you're sort of, I don't know, like this middle of the road with either have someone else help you or something. I don't know. I had an experience uh, at a con and I truly believe like this was a game, all the whole four of our group we were so excited and you, you know, it was one we had to plan ahead and get an appointment to play it and all of this. And I feel like he kind of was just like, eh, this is what you, I don't know. Uh, you know and, and we'd ask questions. And he's like, well, I don't know. Let me see. And it's like, uh, you just could see he didn't love the game. He didn't really, he was there more to, to teach. And I don't know what perks come with it, but like, like that, I feel like in games that, especially with 
being the primary teacher of it. It is always games that I love. And here we go. We're going to learn this. And here's what I, how we do it and all of that. But I feel like that's really important. And then one other quick thing. Uh, I asked a few friends about this topic. And one of my friends said he feels like he'd like to be able to sit down and start playing and then and sort of just go into the game and then start if he has questions, go back and look. So he wants a reference sheet, uh, but also for it to be intuitive. And I'm like, from a designer standpoint, that's, you know, that's probably the Holy grail always <laughs> to have a game that people can just sit down and play. But it was interested that that's his main way that he interacts. And I was like, Oh, that's never really, I've never thought of that. I'm always like reading and re I want to be able to almost recite it. To, so if somebody asks a question, I can, you know, know what I'm talking about. So I was like, huh, that was a totally different view than what I had. I think that's a great reminder that people learn differently and people, mm -hmm. uh, and so if you're teaching multiple people, especially at a convention that it's, you almost have to try to pick up on uh, the different ways that everyone's learning. So one person might be asking a ton of questions, another person might be absorbing it, one person might be fiddling with the tokens ready to actually take a turn. Um, and I agree that your enthusiasm as a teacher can make a big difference. Yes. Andrea, as the main teacher of your group, I'm sure you can relate to that, that your, how you are expressing yourself as you play is impacting the experience for the other players. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you really have to be excited about teaching the game, I think, to some extent. Yeah. Um, and I guess when I was thinking about things I hadn't touched on yet, um, one of the things, you know, that I made notes about in preparing for this was just about games that have an elegance about them. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of introduced to this concept through a gaming podcast recently. It kind of made me think about the types of games I like to play and teach. Um, and I think the things, the, the things that come to mind about games to get to the table more in that regard are games with maybe simple or really intuitive mechanics that have the potential for really deep strategy. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it, for me, you know, sitting at the table and playing a game again that I've played a lot of times makes it really fun, right? You know, it's engaging for me. It's engaging for the people learning the game. Um, everybody's having fun. And I think overall, like the energy at the table, you can feel that, I think, um, just in terms of how it goes. Um, so I think, you know, that's probably the, the, the other thing I'd mention um, as we're closing. I, I've definitely found that to be those games that are that are easy to learn, that are streamlined, that are elegant, like you said, um, but have a lot of depth in terms of maybe the sheer number of tiles or cards, whatever makes the game deep and, and deeply replayable. The, I find myself returning to those games time after time. And I find those games easier to pull off the shelf after not playing them for, for a long time, because I don't feel like I need to relearn the game then. I can, I probably remembered the core aspects of it, and I'm just excited to discover the cards in a different combination than I had before. Um, so yeah, I always totally. appreciate when games do that. Totally. If I had a superpower, it'd be to remember all the rules I've learned. <laughs> the games. <laughs> well, thank you, Andrea. Thank you, Scott. And thank you, Dave, um, for sharing your thoughts on these games today. Anyone watching this, we'd love to hear your thoughts on your favorite games that to teach, learn, and retain. What makes those games special in those aspects? Let me know in the comments below. All right. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you.